Welcome back to the eighth in our series of devotionals in the book of 1 Samuel, where we're tracing the conflict between the rejected King Saul, who's still clinging to power as he tries to kill David. Uh, throughout, David refuses to harm Saul because he is God's anointed king. He's determined to wait for God to vindicate him, even as he's promised. And so when we arrive at 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul's pursuit of David has been intensifying. We've noted previously the structure of chapters 22 and 23, where David's rescue of the people of Keilah is framed by two experiences of betrayal. Now, while the theme of betrayal continues in chapters 24 through 26, a similar ABA structure turns our attention to David's righteous actions. In the face of betrayal, in the face of injustice or just plain contempt, David does right. We don't for a moment imagine David to be the perfect human being. That's also very apparent in the text. But we observe his integrity expressed in his loyalty to Saul and his refusal to grasp at power for himself. We see David's determination to trust God and to fulfill his promises rather than grasping at power in an unlikely situation in a cave in the desert of En Gedi, chapter 24, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. and The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Uh, just as an aside, uh, the Lord said no such thing to David about Saul, even though he had said something similar about his enemies, the Philistines, but we digress. Uh, we return to the cave where David and his men are hiding in the darkness, blocked by 3,000 troops outside the cave, and in between both armies, a royal toilet break is in motion. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So notice here that David views Saul as the Lord's anointed and therefore his master. And if God has appointed him to his role, then David will not presume to know better, to force the issue or to control events. Instead, he trusts God to act. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord the King! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to your men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. So, here is David's determination to do righteousness, which means in this circumstance 
to do no harm to the Lord's anointed. David's character is on display here. Well, the next step in 1 Samuel's narrative begins with Nabal, a wealthy man, a landowner with large flocks at shearing time, a time of great celebration, a bit like harvest. This is the year's return on investment, shorn from the backs of the sheep. And David, hoping for perhaps a little generosity or goodwill from Nabal, a little gift of thanks, sends a very polite delegation to the shearing celebration. It turns out that during the year, while Nabal's shepherds were out in the wilderness doing their shepherding thing, David and his men had been protecting them. Not a thing that belonged to Nabal went missing. They were completely safe. But Nabal treats David's delegation with disrespect and he sends them away empty-handed. Actually, in verse 39, David says that he and his men were treated with contempt. He had ensured that righteousness was done in relation to Nabal, but in return, he was insulted. So David gets angry. He plans revenge, which seems out of character for David, but the Bible is nothing if not real. However, before anything else happens, Nabal's wife, Abigail, finds out about Nabal's terrible mistake, his foolish arrogance in relation to David. And so she quickly jumps on her donkey and chases after David's men with an abundance of food. She says to David, Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Notice the reference to David's character again. It's what it's all about here. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Abigail acted prudently, wisely and graciously and so prevented David from making a big mistake. Instead of trying to grasp what he thought he deserved, David returned to his position of depending on God, of trusting him for the outcome. And God did intervene in an unlikely way because Nabal died from a sudden illness very soon after Abigail returned home to him. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down up on his own head. So from David's perspective, his encounter with Nabal reinforced his need for humility over entitlement. It's all about character. Although he was God's anointed king, the service and respect of the people of Israel still belonged to Saul. David began by treating Nabal well and 
with Abigail's intervention, righteousness in relationship was completed. And in this, I think David was the beneficiary of God's prevenient grace. God prevented him from doing something he would later regret. Righteousness was done instead. And very soon after hearing of Nabal's death, David sent Abigail a marriage proposal, which she immediately accepted. Well, the final movement in this unit of 1 Samuel in chapter 26 has David and his men being betrayed again by the Ziphites, the near neighbours of David's family in Bethlehem. And as before, Saul assembles a force to capture David while he's on the run in the desert. And as happened in the cave in chapter 24, David is again presented with the opportunity to kill Saul. All his troops and guards are sound asleep while David is able to sneak up in the night and steal Saul's spear. Again, he refuses to kill the Lord's anointed king. That person is sacrosanct. Indeed, the raid is constructed to demonstrate David's loyalty to Saul. As before, from a safe distance, David calls out to Saul and demonstrates his righteousness. He will never lift a hand against him, which ultimately has the effect of keeping David waiting, keeping him dependent on God, keeping him humble. And so in order to better prepare us for God's truly anointed king, David had to learn all of these lessons and more. And so we would do well to consider our own relationships today. If God's anointed is all about right relationships, a, a fundamental dimension of righteousness, then we do well to prayerfully consider our relationships. Do we need to make peace? Where is justice needed? Where is love lacking? I'll leave this for your reflection.